<clears throat> okay. Uh, can you hear me all right? So who's hearing? You can hear this. Who is hearing? Uh, please sit comfortably. Um, in 14th century Japan, uh, Basui, Basui Tokusho, um, had his students look into this point. Um, beyond any other point, he had them look into the one who hears. He felt that this was the most efficacious path to... Uh, to what? <laughs> mm. um, There are many ways to do this. There are many ways to look into the one on your cushion. Uh, the one who walks your feet, has your life, your eyes and your ideas. Uh, Basui felt that looking into the one who he was hearing, the one who apprehends sound, to be uh, the best way to directly clarify True nature, self-nature, uh, essential ground of being, if you like. Um, Basui got a sort of a, a shake-up very early in life. Um, as a child, he came face to face with death, attendant with its adult machinations of trying to assuage death. Um, at seven years old, his he experienced the death of his father. And sometime during the initial mourning, probably a month period, um, where food and drink and things like this are stacked on tables and put outside, um, they're piled up along with ghost money uh, in order to uh, uh, keep the deceased moving comfortably into the hereafter with the emphasis on moving there, not staying here. This was really important in the East. Um, moving into the next life. Well, maybe not life. So, as a young boy, Basui overheard a priest uh, saying that the offerings were for his father's soul to feast on. The idea here is that nobody wants unhappy, hungry spirits hanging around, even if they uh, are uh, loved ones. It's just not what you want to invite. You want movement. You want life to continue. Hmm. Basui had huge doubts about this, about a soul that could be satisfied by food, yet no longer had the use of his father's body. And this led Basui to his sort of natural koan of looking directly into what it is that eats and drinks and walks about and listens to Taisho and belling up. <laughs> um, the difficulty with this stuff is that 
when it's explicated, it sounds special and it sounds far away. It sounds like once you get the point, everything will be different. Everything is already different. You can hear the words. It's already this way. There is nothing to change. And yet somehow we remain admired in something of ourselves. And that's valid and so. This consideration that um, uh, Basui had um, also comes into a formulation which is used a lot in the East of what is this? Hmm, what is this? What is this? What is this? Yeah, really, what is this? If you look carefully and remain at this, this, the discursive, you'll find that this is environment. It's the property of environment. But it's my property. <laughs> As I'm sure you'll appreciate. Um, in South Korea, this is often given as a primary koan for the whole of practice. What is this? And it's like um, um, undifferentiated, totally. You know, feel the stomach. What is this? It's read on the wall. What is this? It's a Buddha image. What is this? And it just remains a force in play. Um, and they have this quite gorgeous transference into their kinhin practice, which is when they're walking kinhin, uh, they bring to mind who is dragging this corpse around? <laughs> Just to cut through a few of our preoccupations. <laughs> it's quite a lovely practice. Yeah. Um, here's a little story from the Buddha's time. It's called, uh, it's case 41 in the um, Entangling Vines. It's called the Wise Woman in the Mortuary Grove. Once at the time of the Buddha, seven wise women were walk, taking a walk through a mortuary grove. The eldest pointed to a corpse and asked the others, The corpse is here, but where has the person gone? Hmm. One of the younger women replied, What's this? What's this? The other women all saw clearly and each attained enlightenment. Doesn't take much. Hmm. The corpse is here, but where has the person gone? Hmm. One of the younger women replied, What's this? What's this? Even though what's this is a way of looking into what it is that sits here, this was not her point. Mm. Where has the person gone? What about when the person hasn't gone? 
Where's the person then? Oh, give me some time. I'll, I'll think about it. I'll come up with something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, at about 20 years of age, Basui had an opening on hearing a mountain stream. And subsequently, he went and studied with uh, Koho Kakomyo, uh, who put Basui on Mu. Um, Mu, along with who is hearing, uh, probably our most two common first barrier koans. Um, first barrier koan or initial koan is solely for the purpose of opening a student up to the fundamental. Uh, a taste of what cannot be expressed is utterly personal and has always been completely unhindered. It's the simple fact of you as you are. Without clinging to that at all. In the East they also use what is this and um, what was your original face before your parents were born? Hmm. Yeah, what was your original face before your parents were born? <laughs> How do you deal with that? Um, by letting go ideas about it and meeting it directly and immediately. Um, first barrier is truly a barrier as it needs to sort of hold us in one spot to bore into the Khan and gradually or suddenly it resolves and it shows itself to be no barrier whatsoever but a wide open presentation as open as your ability to hear these words right now A koan in the Chinese is gongan and refers to um, a matter of public record which is sort of yet to be ruled on. So it's, it's almost like it's still up for debate, uh, something to look into. Um, maybe there's no particular dispute about sound. Yeah, sound is clear. Apprehend sound. It's present. Yeah. But what about the one who hears? How do we clarify that? Or is there no doubt about it at all? <laughs> is that straightforward? Yeah. Who is it that hears? Well, what is the one who hears? It's... Working with koans is interesting because they're innately awkward. Um, if they weren't, they would have no power. We would do no work. We would not be changed. You know, we are organic. 
we require practice to change, we require work to change, to actually change, not just have a, a sort of a new drawer full of ideas to work with. So, working with koans, who is hearing? When you look into it, it's not easy to sustain. Um, this is why it's so important to find a solid foundation in breath, in breath practice. And this is incredibly important. When we jump past the breath straight into Khan, even though Khan is a struggle, it's so much more difficult. Um, working with breath practice, we learn very practical, effective meditation skills that we really need to be able to employ with Khan work and with silent illumination. So for any practice in Zen, two things are important. One, knowing what to do. The other, doing it. <laughs> and this sort of also means that not checking yourself to see if you're doing it right. <laughs> it's not on the list. But just knowing what to do and doing it, keeping it really, really simple. Yeah. Um, so knowing some mechanics is important like dealing with distraction yeah. if you're doing breath meditation when you know you're distracted and that's all you need to do as soon as you know you're distracted notice whether you're breathing in or breathing out you don't need to comment, don't need to verify, don't need to check. No need of anything. As soon as you know you're distracted, ooh, breathing in, breathing out. And there you are. Practice. No need to do anything more at all. Even though it can seem important to figure out why I got distracted, what distracted you, how I am today. Ah! Breathing out, breathing in. This is the whetstone of practice. This is how we become a little less important. <laughs> uh, breath typically isn't as exciting as our ideas. So it's helpful, another mechanism is it's helpful to develop an interest in the breath. Um, it helps to maintain practice. So, first of all, how do you know you're breathing? It's sensation. It's sensation. Anything else is just idea. It's sensation. It's physical actuality. As a sensation, it may not feel like much. It's just a little thing. But... Um, it's enough to know that you're breathing in or breathing out. In fact, our sense of awareness of breathing is so refined that you also know 
If you're just at the beginning of the in-breath, the middle of the out-breath, in between the out-breath and the in-breath, or the in-breath and the out-breath, we know this innately and solely through sensation. There actually is a lot to attend to. So becoming interested in breath, in tracking the whole experience which tells us what's going on all the way through a complete cycle is a good thing to be interested in and it helps us to keep steady on the meditation object which is absolutely vital. Arthur talked of cutting off letting go of the mind road this afternoon. We do that by staying on the meditation object, by not checking if we're on it, <laughs> just staying on it. And one way of doing that is to become interested. With breath we have a clear, engaging meditation object. But as we go further into practice, the objects of meditation typically get more subtle, or extremely subtle, or impossibly nebulous. You know, okay, let's do shikantaza, just sit. No, 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 don't do anything. Don't do anything, just sit. Well, which bit do you pay attention to? <laughs> There's so much going on. It's nebulous. It's huge. You know, the tendency is to try and find something which is more important than something else. But actually, no, that's doing something. Just so. So the objects of meditation become less tangible. And so to develop the steadiness of practice with the breath is incredibly important and hugely helpful. Um, along with this, we learn to trust the practice. We find that it works. If you really nail breath practice, you have a method to functionally calm down, whether it's anxiety or busy head, or just to remind yourself that you can actually be present for a moment. You can functionally do this with breath practice, and it's really important to know how to do this. Especially when you're really angry and pissed off. <laughs> it's good. So we learn these um, skills. Um, not just trusting practice, but trusting our ability to practice, and even more, trusting ourselves. Zen practice is so much about trust. What do you trust? In Zen practice, what do you trust? Sound of kids across the valley. The quiet of a room. Ache in the back. Fuzzy head that doesn't quite know what to say. You trust what comes forth and meet it in full allowing. This we learn in breath practice, primarily. So, let's get back to who is hearing. Um, who is hearing is about sound. Yeah? So, yeah. Turn up. Turn up the attentiveness to sound. The richness of sound itself. Like listening to the whole of the breath cycle and finding that it's only sensation which informs us. Sound 
is change of pitch, it's richness, it's dexterity orally. It's good to be interested in it. But you don't go running around after it. Um, There is no activity here. Um, There's no kind of going and grabbing at sounds. If the sound it already is, no need for movement. No need to do something with it. It already is, and it's a matter of attending to that. When the sound... Use the question, who is hearing? But only because the question raises an inquiry. And that inquiry is the point. The, the question points an inquiry, and the point is inquiry. So, who is hearing? And you look into it, and it fades, disappears, gets all wishy-washy. So you bring it up again. Who is hearing? And you continue to bring it up, and bring it up, and bring it up. The virtue of sound for this is the implication, who is hearing. The virtue of the question, who is hearing, is the inquiry that it points to. The virtue of the inquiry is that vacuum, that typically awkward sense that follows it of not being able to find something. This is the virtue of inquiring. You might think we inquired to get an answer. And if you do have answers, fantastic. Go to Doxan. (laughs) See how it goes. Um, Seriously, really important. Doxan's for meeting, getting to know each other. It's for approving, it's for encouraging, it's for challenging, but it's also for wiping away. It's incredibly powerful to have some sort of stuck thought back there which you, you sort of, you know it's not right, but at the same time it keeps nagging at you. To bring it out is good. It allows it to be wiped away and also builds trust between student and teacher. There are lots of reasons to go to Doxan. Use any of them. <laughs> um, answers to Cohen Lacour's here and tend to be based around ideas. And they're all around who am I, as Russ presented last night. Um, and these ideas are typically endless. We have a whole life story of them. <laughs> Yeah. Um, when we get into thinking and ideas around this stuff, we immediately run up against self and all the ideas that circle that. Um, and we generally don't do well around self. 
Um, we're so invested, it's so important, it's so close that we have little or no clear discernment about it at all. It's just this massive impression. But that's all it is. <laughs> it's an impression. It's sense, sense of self. Um, it's entirely valid, appropriate, important and healthy but it's still only sense of self. Um, I wrote a whole long thing here which is really boring and too technical and if you're a psychologist we could talk for about four or five hours but um, and you can tell me that whatever but hey um, sense of self comes into being through particular causes and conditions. Um, when these causes or conditions change, sense of self's not there. It simply is not there. When the causes and conditions are there, sense of self is clear. When they're not there, there is no sense of self. And this is incredibly regular. This happens minute to minute, second to second, fraction of second to fraction of second, depending on circumstance, depending on the cause. At our very base, we need to be somebody. It's no good going up and saying, Hi, I'm... <laughs> what do you reckon? <laughs> you know, we've got to present as somebody. We really do have to present as somebody. Um, we also have to have a way of being relative to everything else. And we also have to have a way where we recognise ourselves, whereas the people that we live and share our lives with recognize us in the same way so we can agree and become social beings these are causes and conditions but as soon as that momentary requirement isn't there it's gone but we typically lack the facility to notice this because when we are if you like gone we are at our most available at our we are intensely being at that point, if you like. And so there's nothing missing. There's no need to find a gap or a space that says, oh, there's a me around here somewhere. It just doesn't occur like that. We are already at our most complete. We also get deeply reassured that self is present and perpetuates. Um, partly through the narrations of who I am, who I was, who I will be, that sort of life that we keep up. But also, curiously, we get this sense of perpetuation because of time. Time helps us sense that we are ourselves a continuity. Um, the implication through time being a continuous flow is that I am also a flow of continuity. My me continues. And that would be totally fine. And deeply reassuring if time really was a flow.
Yeah, if it was. Um, who is hearing? The task is to become come into the intimate presence of sound. Sound that's present right now. Where sound and hearing have no choice to, but to mutually arise. And then look into the one that hears. The inquiry is an arrow that flies straight into its target. There is sound. Who hears? But despite the undeniability, the clear actuality of the sound, that arrow of inquiry finds no target, finds no ground to bite into at all, and just sort of disappears and fades. So we raise the inquiry again. Who is hearing? When we're working with a koan like this, we want to raise the inquiry in a way that is live, is personal, and is implicated. It's implicated because even though we can't touch the one who hears, there is hearing. So what is going on here? Basui would say to his audience, Do you wish to penetrate directly and become free? When I'm talking like this, many people are listening. Quickly, look at the one who is listening to this talk. Who is it? Who is listening right now? Indeed. As we learn to sustain inquiry, and it's a practice that you have to work at, it can be a little like standing at the edge of a precipice with an attending sort of sense of disconcertion. As we sustain pointed inquiry that doesn't go anywhere, a sort of disquiet emerges which is a natural response to having no response. Back to the dockside room again. <laughs> no, got nothing. Yeah, it can hear, yeah, but it got nothing. Um, and this no response is actually the jaw. So gradually, the implication of the inquiry that yields no result builds. There's this force of not being able to answer. There's a force of not knowing that builds. And this gradually gathers and builds. And that in turn fosters deeper inquiry. Until it shatters or melts or just fades away. And... Um, Something is overturned, something is resolved, something becomes intimately clear. 
you are resolved to the very bottom for a while. Yeah. And this is just simply the indelibly clear ground of right now. So inquire if you're working with a koan, keep it live, personal, implicate it, bring it up and look at it steadily anew. Consider this situation. When you see every sign of something being here, but you can't find it. Yeah, there's every single sign of this thing being here, but you can't find the thing. Yeah, how do we deal with that usually? Yeah, typically we would assume that well, maybe my sight's not very good. <laughs> maybe I need new glasses. Yeah, so we might think, oh well, because I can't resolve this, um, I'm not very good at it. Or something like that. Or we may presume that what we're looking for is somehow special and invisible. But typically we do something else. We sort of wash over the whole thing with this quiet presumption which leaves us to revert to a sort of mantra, a sort of mantra holding pattern with a koan, which loses inquiry and just goes through the motions. Khans can be held lightly, especially when we're not in session. A gentle remaining consideration, like holding a question. But in session, it's good to use the time. Everybody sacrifices a lot to be here. The time is precious. The place is precious. You are precious. It's a matter of you. So who is hearing? 